0: i um, I seen it, and that was all I needed to see. It is pure evil. And I want to tell you. I'm not going to tell you anything graphic about it. I'm just going to tell you the premise of it. And I want to show you where America's mindset is today. This is why when you and I go
1: out and preach the words of life, all they know is death. This is why, because their mind and their brain is consumed with death. It's a glorification. I, I am state. seeing something on the screen and repulsed by it. I am sitting there dreading another needle in the eyeball. I am dreading another incision across the scalp and the peeling back of the scalp. That's dread. That is not horror, and that's not entertainment. The stress, as some of the Hollywood writers, is simply appalling.
0: The uh, Night of the Living Dead, you know, the Chainsaw Massacre, this horrible stuff, the blood and gore. You, you don't want to focus on your life on right, like because it will you. you have horror movies and wicked movies in your home, those are gateways. where hilarious,
2: Say
1: crazy stuff oh, that they would do, do out war. to each other. Oh, yeah, they, they were really pushing the envelope back and forth back then.
2: Yeah, we actually have a thing over at my university called Wrestlepocalypse, where basically a bunch of theater majors get together and get drunk and wear either nothing or, like, <laughs> we're out wrestle each other on, like, stages <laughs> for, like, three hours. And I think that really ties together the theater and wrestling tradition.
1: <laughs> it sounds like it.
2: I bet you're in attendance for that every night, aren't you, Dave? I actually <laughs> never went to that. Haven't been to that ever.
1: Actually.
0: <laughs> Welcome to episode number 59 of the Horror Explorer Podcast. This is a podcast determined to turn people on to horror movies they might have never seen or even heard of. We like to focus on VHS-era horror that most younger horror fans aren't aware of, and some of the more obscure or unusual horror that's come out since. My name's Mike. I'm your host. I'm here nearly every week. And this week with us, we have Liam. Hey, everyone. We have mm-hmm, Dave. Hello. And this week, we're going to have one of our extra panelists on the show... Uh, Lauren wanted to take a weekend off, and that's cool. So we got plenty of people who can fill in, and this week we've brought in Eric.
1: Hello. And we will not ask you to do anything embarrassing, humiliating, or abnormal at any time. <laughs> yeah.
0: So, Eric, why don't you tell us about yourself?
1: Uh, well, I am uh, 37 years old. I'm a stay-at-home dad from Lexington, Kentucky, and I am a horror nerd, and uh, I'm a writer over at Horror Society under the name Fat Gore.
0: All right, so Dave, Liam, Eric, anyone do
2: anything interesting this week? I didn't do much interesting this week. I just kind of, like, watched movies, stayed at home, went to work, that sort of thing. Yeah,
0: you didn't do anything exciting over the weekend, Dave?
2: Not really. I did see It Comes at
0: Night and Life a few days back. So you've just kind of conveniently developed amnesia about the uh, bestiality party that you had on Saturday, (laughs) or...? Because so, you told me about this on Facebook. I'm not going to forget about it. You know what's yeah. coming up.
2: Anyway, so back in May, a few friends and I had a party, and somehow that party developed into watching horse porn, like horse porn bestiality. What, and, is
0: that, what kind of a fucking party is that, Dave? Come on. And I'll
2: tell you the story. This week, my roommate and I were like, hey, what should we do? We're bored. So previously... We had talked about – you and I, Mike, had talked about a movie called Le Bête, which yep. was made in yep. 1975 by a guy. I forget his name, but he was described as a genius who happened to be a pornographer. And um, the movie Le Bette is similar to the story of Beauty and the Beast in that it involves a woman's relations with an animal. But that's where the similarities stop because it's just horse porn pretty much the first 20 minutes. Yeah, it starts out with
0: like like 20 minutes of like horses fucking or something. Yeah, exactly,
2: exactly. (laughs) And And it's it's
0: like, it's not even artistic. It's not artistic and it's not pornographic either. It's like really sloppy cinematography, to be honest.
2: Yeah, yeah, it's like soft...
0: I never made it past that part of the movie, so I don't know what the fuck's going on in the rest of it. Yeah,
2: I had never made it past that part of the movie either until earlier this week.
1: So uh, neither one of you could last that long, or...?
0: Well, I think... (laughs) (laughs) Dave probably finished several times. He's young. <laughs>
2: anyway, I finished the movie with my roommate a few nights ago, and it was fine. It was kind of terrible. It was exactly what you would expect. It's a guy wearing, like, a monster costume chasing around a woman, and he has, like, a giant monster practical effect penis that's constantly oh, like, spraying, like,
0: Jesus <laughs> all over. And it, that's the movie. <laughs> Wow. Yep. Well, college is the time to try new things, Dave, and you're really <laughs> popping the cork on that shit. <laughs> so every week I make these guys watch an older or more obscure movie that most people their age might not be familiar with. Usually it's something I like or something I remember from my childhood, it's something like that, but not always. And the whole point of this podcast is to make younger horror fans, and in this case, Eric, aware that the best new horror movie that they see this year could be a movie from 30 years ago that they didn't even know existed.
3: And this week,
1: Mike made us watch *Communion*. Yeah, I'd uh, I'd never heard of this movie before. I uh, I actually know who Whitley Strieber was uh, for some other reasons, but I this one has escaped me.
0: So, how do you know who Whitley Strieber is without knowing about *Communion*?
1: Well, Whitley really Strieber wrote, first of all, Wolfen. Uh Which I yep. really enjoy uh the mm-hmm. book that the movie was based on, he also was a frequent guest on a radio show uh from like Arizona that I used to listen to about uh conspiracy theories, alien abductions and stuff like that and he uh so I knew about his story he, he also did some uh talk show stuff back in the eighties uh Phil Donahue things like that mm-hmm. so I knew about him, but i didn't know that they 'd made a movie out of his uh life.
2: I had seen it before actually. Uh, but I had never sat down and like taken notes on it and everything. I just kind of watched it casually.
3: Yeah, I I didn't think I had heard or seen this movie, but um, after watching a few of the alien scenes in the film and uh, reading a bit about the author and um, the story that he wrote, there were a few, you know, light bulbs of remembrance that went off in my head that I can't really place. It might be because like I watched this movie. In the midst of an alien abduction or something, and I repress the memories. But it could also it could also just be that uh, it's something that's uh, referenced in you know pop culture a lot, and so I'm gonna form some false memories.
0: Well, for me, this this movie is something that I was aware of pretty much when it came out. I don't think I saw it till it was out on VCR tape, you know. Uh, because we didn't go to movies really when I was a kid. So I didn't get to see stuff till it was on TV or until we rented it or whatever. But I was familiar with the book and I do remember reading the book when I was like 11 or 12 and it really scaring the fuck out of me because I had sleep paralysis when I was a kid and sleep paralysis, uh, A lot of people mistake that for alien abduction. I never really did, but I was always afraid that there was something like that going on because there was no Internet back then. So when you have something like sleep paralysis, it's not like you can just go look it up and find out what's going on. I mean, I was I thought I was like, you know, this is just terrifying as it is. And then I find out about this book and read it. And it's like, wow, I wonder if it's something like that. You know, you kind of toy with the notion of it, but I never really bought into it. But it made the book very, very frightening to me. And then it made the movie very, very frightening to me when I finally saw it when I was like 14 or something like that. Uh, I used to believe this stuff was true. You know, when you're younger, you don't, you're not, maybe the critical thinking isn't up to par. But I kind of believed his story and stuff like that when I was true. And I believed other alien abduction stories and stuff like that. So the pop culture perception of alien abduction, like the grays, the guys with the big eyes, the anal probe, stuff like that. Really most of that mythology is, is a result of Whitley Stryber and communion. Uh, when he wrote the book, the book sold like over 2 million copies. Like two years after the book came out, it was still selling over 10,000 copies a week. It was a New York Times bestseller. The paperback and the hardcover edition were both on the bestseller list at the same time at number one. Uh, it was a, it was a really big phenomenon in pop culture for like a couple of years and it kind of died away, but the whole alien abduction thing, Stuck, And then, you know, you got the whole Area 51 and stuff like that. And it just kind of took off from there. But a lot of what we see in movies and in TV shows and stuff like that about alien abduction, it all boils down to what his story was at the beginning, because he was really the genesis of that whole pop culture phenomenon. This is the supposedly true story of author Whitley Strieber, who comes to the realization that he was abducted by aliens after an incident at his isolated upstate New York cabin. And throughout the movie, he struggles with either accepting that it really happened or accepting that he's losing his mind. And Whitley Stryver in this movie is played by Christopher Walken. You all know who that is, and you all know how he acts. And he turns it up to 11 in this movie.
2: And throughout this review, we're just going to be calling Whitley Stryver Christopher Walken because I think that's the most concise way to describe this character.
1: (laughs) And because he made absolutely no effort to try to play Whitley Striver whatsoever.
0: <laughs> uh, fun fact when uh, Whitley Striver was the executive producer on this and he, he picked his good friend Philip Mora or Felipe Mora to uh, direct the film and Whitley Striver is really, really involved in the in making this movie that you know he was on set all the time and all that. And first he picks a director just because he's his friend and the director has really great credentials like the Howling Two and the Howling Three. Not that great. But when he was on set, he was getting upset with Christopher Walken because Christopher Walken, he said, You're playing me way too crazy. And Christopher Walken just said, Well, if the shoe fits, and then just kept on acting the way he had been acting. I thought that was great.
1: That's pretty boss. Yeah.
0: So we'll see what these guys have to say about communion right after this. <laughs> If you would like to contact us here at the Horror Explorer podcast, you can reach us via email at Podcast at gmail.com, or you can interact with us on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash horrorexplorer, or follow us on Twitter at horror explorer. All right, now we're going to see what these guys thought of communion, starting with mm-hmm Dave.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So this movie opens with a very mm-hmm shot. It's a fast helicopter shot of New York City that immediately dates itself because it opens with the Twin Towers. Yeah.
0: Yeah, that's the first thing I notice in movies that have it is when you see the Twin Towers, it's like, yep, this was a while ago.
2: <laughs> and, and the it's... intro music reminds me of Tangerine Dream's Risky Business soundtrack.
0: Yeah, well, you know, I was going to say the intro music, it kind of gives it this vibe like it's going to be like a detective movie or a romantic drama, like maybe a noir kind of thing.
2: Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And then we cut from the cityscape to walking, waking up in bed. And he's going like, someone's after me. And then his wife's just like, go back to sleep, honey. So he's already being established as a crazy eccentric guy.
0: Not only that, but in this scene and another scene where they're in bed, pretty much any scene where he's waking up out of, out of sleep, you'll notice that the way he sleeps is he lays perpendicular to his wife and uses her butt as a pillow.
1: At one point, he has his arm across her throat. <laughs>
0: He can't even sleep normal.
1: He can't wake up normal. He wakes up in this scene and he's just looking around and he's very intense and very quiet. And it's like normally people are like catching their breath and seem like they're scared when they wake up. Not him, buddy.
2: Then moving from this, we cut to a scene where he's just kind of sitting at a computer. It's revealed that he is a struggling writer who's working on the next great American novel, much like Whitley Stryber actually was doing. But he, in this scene, Walken is just yelling at his computer constantly. And he's asking if something's wrong with his kid when the kid walks in and like doesn't give him a kiss on the cheek or something along those lines. It's shocking because There's something very wrong with Christopher Walken throughout this entire film, but he always assumes it's someone else.
0: Yeah, I mean, he doesn't – they start you out, you know, and you start getting the baseline for a character in a movie right at the beginning. They start out focused on him, and he is just all over the place. He is fucking berserk. Like, the budget for this film was $5 million. I guarantee you close to $3 million of that was his cocaine. (laughs)
1: and he does this little move that sets the pace for the entire movie. When he sits down at the computer and he licks his fingers before he starts typing.
0: Yeah. (laughs) That
1: was gold.
2: It also establishes that he messes up everything because he tries to cook and he sets the whole place on fire. The fire department comes and it's a whole scene dedicated to showing how messed up Walken is in this moment.
1: And the fire department shows up like, instantly like they were downstairs waiting for this guy to burn something
3: <laughs> yeah well it's, it's probably only the seventh time he's burnt some duck in the oven or something because because the, the way the way Walken handles it is he's he's dealing with it but he's brushing it off
0: yeah. they, they allude to the fact that it's happened before that they burnt food and the the firefighters even tell him this time they're getting fined two hundred dollars and also it's revealed that how shitty our
2: child actor is in this scene oh boy the child Kid actor, is annoying as fuck Every time the child speaks, it's terrible. It ruins everything in this scene every time the child speaks throughout the entire film.
1: He looks off camera for his cues, and they just left it in.
0: <laughs> he does, yeah. He sometimes looks into the camera, too. Yeah. Which is a yeah, And, and he, he will miff his lines. There's two or three times in the movie where he miffs his line and starts over, and they just leave it in the movie. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah. Christopher Walken does it, too, but his character is so insane that it works. But this child has no excuse for doing that. Like, stop and start sort of thing. Well, yeah,
3: maybe, maybe the kid was like, because he's Christopher Walken's son, maybe he was trying to do a Christopher Walken impression to, like, he, indicate that he's his offspring.
0: Or maybe he was just trying to learn by watching and Christopher Walken rubbed off on him way too much.
3: <laughs> that could be... Ew.
2: Yeah, I so, was thinking that. I, I hope. Christopher I bet you were, Dave. i that little boy. Anyway, so... Christopher Walken's two friends show up, and they all decide to go out to a vacation in the cabin for who knows what reason. And throughout this entire scene or this entire montage, we get a lot of allusions to wolves for some reason. For example, Walken sets up a wolf painting in his house. Uh, his friend mentions how the ghosts of wolves are coming to get them. Dave, hey, let me interrupt
0: you because I know um, that probably seems out of place to you. Yeah. And it seems strange. Christopher Walken – or not Christopher Walken, Jesus. Whitley Stryver wrote a book called The Wolfen that was literally like more or less about ghosts and wolves in New York City. Yeah. And it was very successful, and they made it to a movie. And that's where all that stuff about the wolves is coming from.
2: Oh, so at this point in Christopher Walken slash Whitley Stryver's life in, within the movie, he has already written Wolfen. So that's what Yeah, I, he's
0: already very successful
2: at this point. And that makes much more sense. I, I was wondering where that whole obsession with the wolves was coming from. Like, are wolves symbolizing the aliens or something to that effect? But also at this point, we've re, we're about, like, what, 10, 15 minutes in, and we've gotten a very good sense of Christopher Walken's performance. And it's so eccentric that it borders on artificial and it makes it impossible to see him as a character. We can't see him as anything other than Christopher Walken. No.
0: Yeah. It's, it kind of reminds me of Michael Moriarty
2: in a couple of movies. Exactly. That's exactly the impression I got. I got a Tommy Wiseau impression, a Michael Moriarty impression and a Dieter laser in human Centipede bead three.
3: <laughs> it's not that bad.
1: Jesus <laughs> if we could circle back to the wolf thing very quickly, I know that he wrote Wolfen, but at no point in this movie, do they make an effort to explain that to you? So uh, I had forgotten uh that he had written that and I'm, I'm watching this and I'm like, man, this wolf thing's going to pay out eventually. It doesn't.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's almost, It's at many points in this movie, it became apparent to me that this movie was made for me, or at least they were attempting to make a movie for me, someone who was familiar with the source material, you know, and the studio was trying to capitalize on the success of it. And it seems like they really were directing the movie at the people who had read the book, and people who hadn't read the book were going to be even more confused than we were, or I was.
3: Right, yeah. I was just about to ask you about that, Mike. So, like, if you could talk a little bit about um Whitley's, like, real-life Whitley's success at this point, like, would this have been, like, a, uh for example, like, a Stephen King biopic after he had written, like, <laughs> Carrie and the Stand? Like, was he on that level no, of success? No. Not at all? No,
0: The Wolfen wasn't a, a successful movie, really. You know, the book... He kind of – I'd never really heard of the book until i heard of the movie or whatever. He wasn't that big, but he was successful. I mean, he did have his own apartment in New York City and, you know, stuff like that in the movie. And I think that'd probably be accurate to where he was probably comfortable. You know, he's got a cabin upstate. You know, it looks like a pretty expensive setup. So, I mean, I, I think that at this point he's not Stephen King. You know, he's not even uh, – a. He's not even Dean Koontz at this point.
3: So do you think it was unfounded for the filmmakers to kind of not explain these things? Do you think that they should have um, emphasized who the real guy was a little bit more?
0: They should have. In the movie, they just make him look like he's just an author. And they don't really, you know, his success, his previous work. Maybe there's copyright issues. I don't know. You know, maybe that stuff belongs to another movie studio. You know, I'm not sure the reasoning behind it. But it seems they just kind of seem to take for granted that you're familiar with the story already.
2: Also, he doesn't really have much of a personality. Christopher Walken playing Whitley Stryber doesn't have much of a personality because his personality is consumed by Walken's performance. So that kind of separates us from his character.
1: I'm not sure exactly how uh, crazy the real Whitley Stryber is. Obviously, he felt like this was misrepresenting him. But I don't think Walken can be totally to blame because, first of all, they designed these sets. They costumed this movie and the stuff that, like, at one point in the bedroom, there's this wacky clock. And I'm like, yeah. you know, this stuff all makes him look crazy, not just Walking's insane performance.
3: I don't think I've ever wanted a household device more than that clock, like, since I saw the hamburger phone in Juno or something. I would totally, I'd be down with having that <laughs> clock on my clock nightstand. That's the worst clock in
0: the world.
3: The hour is, and the minute right. hands
0: are, like, fucking 16 inches across. You don't know what it's fucking pointing at. They're always over, I don't know, I thought it was terrible. I mean, I put that in my notes that that is the worst clock I have ever seen.
2: Anyway, so moving right along here, he goes to the cabin with his friends. They have a spooky nighttime experience where the house is flooded with light, and Christopher Walken sees what looks like a gray, like we're all familiar with the light the insect eyed aliens and that sort of thing.
0: I think this it's, it's so strange because this movie is so all over the place. This, this movie is not something that's like going to come off as a great movie or anything like that. But this one scene right here is done absolutely perfectly. Everybody falls asleep and you get this really gradual buildup of this scary music. And the music is incredibly, it the music by itself is almost terrifying. It's, it kind of has a little bit of a hint of the close encounters music to it. It's the only way I can really explain it. I mean, you have to watch the movie to to hear the music or look up the scene on YouTube or something, because the scene's on YouTube. But he sits up in bed, just like he'd done before. And he says, there's somebody there, and he's just staring off into his bedroom. And just real slowly from behind a door, you'd see this, this side of a one of those alien heads just kind of poke out and look at him and then duck back behind it. And the way the music is used during that scene makes it Utterly and completely terrifying. And at this point in the movie, I'm so invested in it. I'm like, this is going to be fucking great. This is going to be one scary, fucked-up movie. I'm going to love this. Because they have done this introduction of the aliens and the first weird, scary thing. They have done it absolutely perfectly. I am so excited. Then I get okay. let down.
1: Okay. Um I'll have to respectfully disagree. That alien peeking around the shifaro was one of the funniest things I've ever seen in a horror film. It looked like something out of South Park. He was just like, eh?
0: The first episode of South Park where Cartman gets an anal probe rips off the scene intentionally.
1: Oh, really? That's literally that.
0: why it seems like South Park to you because South Park literally redid this scene in that the very first episode.
1: Maybe that's why I laughed so hard. I didn't know that.
0: I thought
2: in yeah. terms of editing and scare construction, this was one of the stronger moments in the film, because like you mentioned, Mike, the music cues and the editing worked really well to build tension, but it's still not as strong as scare construction in some other classic horror movies.
3: Well, I, I, I think I'm with Mike on this one, actually. I um I wouldn't say it was terrifying, but I would say that it was immensely unsettling. Um especially the way Christopher Walken responds he's staring in the direction and he um he says to himself more than anything he says i see you and um i thought that was such a idiosyncratic response and it really uh i think it really emphasized the moment and it totally got under my skin i was i was definitely into it
0: and i really loved the way he followed it up after that cuz he just like puts his head in his hands he like he's just there's no way this could possibly be real he's just just in total disbelief of what he's seen after this moment We kind of cut to a breakfast scene where the
2: friends of Christopher Walken are saying, we need to get out of here. We're leaving. You are driving us back from this cabin because they experienced a similar thing that night.
0: And the one guy's really, he seems really heavily more disturbed than anyone else in the whole household, because they've got that other couple there with them, and they're in a different bedroom, and they see all these bright lights, and it wakes them up, and all these other people see are the lights, well, except for his kid who almost gets dragged out of his bed by something off screen. But none of them seem as upset about it as this Romanian guy that's there, and he even gets to the point where he's basically saying, hey, I want to go home. He's like, well, you know, and they're like, no, and he like bangs on the table and says he wants to go home, because he's that upset and disturbed by
1: well he was probably also upset because in this scene they're going back and forth about what the lights could have been and Walken keeps saying it was the moon and the guy's like it's not the moon he's like it's the moon he's like it's not the moon and it's like when you play charades or pictionary with somebody and they guess the wrong thing and you say no and they keep saying it i would have been infuriated as well like that's it take me home i can't deal with this asshole today
2: it was exactly like that that's a perfect analogy so then they decide to take their friends home and Crisper now at this point it's Halloween. So Crisper Walken is going to take his child to a costume party. And let me tell you, everyone at this costume party is insane. What do you mean, Dave? Like Was that how, in, what in what way? Because at certain points the teacher or chaperone or whoever is like watching over all the small children. She like turns towards the camera and she has the most bizarre look in her eyes. She looks like Betty Davis in Whatever Happened to Baby Jane. Yeah. She looks very theatrically insane.
3: Well, I think after watching Christopher Walken act for the first twenty-five minutes, I was pretty accustomed to theatrically insane. <laughs> so I might not yeah. have picked up on it. But um this might be a good a time as any to tell you guys that um by this point I was totally into Christopher Walken's performance. Um as far as my knowledge of Walken goes, his uh appearance in adam sandler's click was um really the only thing i had seen him in you know i've seen his uh his brief part in pulp fiction but i haven't seen um you know the dead zone or catch me if you can and i'm really i'm only familiar with christopher walken impressions and (laughs) and and so for um the first five minutes of the movie i was looking at Christopher Walken in the flesh, and I was saying this guy's doing a Christopher Walken impression, <laughs> and it's ridiculous. After 20 minutes of this movie, I had totally forgotten that Christopher Walken is someone that's um impersonated and made fun of so often, and I, not knowing Whitley Stryber and how he might act in real life, I was totally buying into this kind of quirky uh writer that wears a bathrobe and a top hat, and I thought all of... I thought all of Christopher Walken's little ticks and um little odd phrasings and lines of dialogue that almost seemed improvised I was totally into it and I I thought it was uh brilliant
1: That is not a top hat that is a 10 gallon
3: fedora. <laughs> yeah, fedora Yeah, 10 gallon fedora. Might be more I've accurate. never
0: seen a hat like
2: that anywhere else. Never. It's his own hat. Christopher Walken had it designed personally for this film. <laughs>
3: I do wonder how much input Christopher Walken had on his character. Like, um, I told you guys I'm I'm ignorant of the guy's career. By this point, was Christopher Walken a thing in '89? Like, were people I know he had starred in a few movies, but were people impersonating him and kind of oh you know, yeah, that guy?
0: Yeah, because he had been around since The Deer Hunter, and I think that was, like, what, 70? 70, 76 or something. Yeah, yeah something like that. was, like, when I was born.
3: Yeah, so I wonder how much he did have to say about um his character. If if he was able to tell the author of the book off and say, you know, if the shoe fits, I'm going to play it how I want, then maybe... Uh... Well, he
0: is, he is all the weight behind this movie, besides the success of the book... You know, that's the first thing is the book was very successful. They want to capitalize on that. And then when you're going for a big name, I mean, in 1988, 89, when this was made, Christopher Walken is a big fucking name.
2: Christopher Walken is the first title we see in the opening shot. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so at this point, Walken decides to gather his family and go to another vacation home. It's the same vacation home, but he decides to take another vacation. And he has some sort of nighttime interaction in a really cheesy sci-fi sequence with some hooded aliens. And it's really weak. So what Walken does is he kind of flips out and his wife's like, get back to bed, just chill out, relax. But instead, he grabs a gun. And my first thought is, Oh great, Watkins gonna murder his family. And <laughs> I, did anyone else have this thought?
1: Yes.
0: I knew he was coming unhinged. So again, I've seen this before, so I already know everything that's going to happen in it. And, you know, he's like, well, I, I, he he keeps saying he wants to check downstairs, he wants to check downstairs, he thinks there's someone downstairs or something like that. So that if you notice that, obviously you don't think he's going to be killing his wife. He almost does though.
2: Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. Because he sees what appears to be one of those hooded aliens and shoots it. And then his wife is like, honey, what are you doing? And He wheels around and fires the gun right at her, but unfortunately does not hit her. And there's actually a really solid moment that's undermined quite a bit by the child's acting. Christopher Walken and his wife just sit in silence, both reeling from the event that just happened. And that's a strong acting moment.
0: It is because they're both like, whoa, what just happened? He's like coming to the realization, whoa, I almost just shot my fucking wife. And there's, yeah. there's little there's little spots in the movie like this here and there where you have moments of genuinely good acting where they really do get an emotion across, but it just gets drowned out by all the over the top acting from Christopher Walken or the way too many lines that they give the kid. So there's these little bright spots that just get smudged out by a bunch of garbage.
1: Yeah, I actually wrote I wrote something down about that too because uh, you're you're absolutely right. There there were moments when. Everything just seems to come together and you're like, you're really invested. But then you remember that they've done no, they've really not given you enough to latch onto for you to, to feel emotional about what's going on. So then it just comes off as this weird, bizarre melodrama.
2: Yep. So when Walken tried this or finally begins to alienate himself from his family with his actions, we are completely unable to empathize with him. So then Walken goes home. His wife forces him to kind of go into like a hypnosis slash recovery period. And these moments are the weakest moments in the film, in my opinion. Cinematography-wise, they're actually somewhat interesting. But in terms of the actual content of the scene, they're really slow. And all the alien abduction moments, this is probably me being colored by all the alien abduction movies I've seen. But it doesn't really offer up anything unique or special.
0: Well, in the context of the time, it, trust me, Dave, it certainly did. I mean, this is you know before any of that stuff were mainstream. Now, now you can't even talk about alien abduction without like ten anal probe jokes. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, it's just it's so it's so ubiquitous now. Uh, everything related with the mythology. But back then, I mean, this was something it was new. Now that being said, the effects of the aliens really undermined any ability for it to be frightening. Or even for it to feel, it feels more comedic than anything, unintentionally comedic, than being frightening or concerning or anything.
2: Very weak special effects for
0: 1989. Yep. And, well, $5 million budget, I still think they could have done quite a bit better than this.
1: Well, I, I I wrote down that this is like the wildly inconsistent because I actually really like the little blue doctors, I think they call them. Those things were kinda of cool looking, like something maybe the Henson workshop would have come up with if they were on a budget. But the wacky, inflatable, arm flailing gray aliens were <laughs> those things were just like who made those?
0: They yeah, like they don't articulate at joints or nothing like that. They're just like all floppy. And you can tell they're like marionettes just being dragged around by a string and bouncing around on a string. It's, it's pathetic.
3: Yep. Yeah. They they certainly weren't realistic looking. And I, th- I think Eric nailed it when he said, um, it could be something that Jim Henson did. Uh, they wouldn't feel out of pr- place in a movie like Labyrinth or something. But, um, I don't think that I needed them to look realistic because up until this point in the movie, I was under the impression that, uh, Walken's character, Whitley, uh, certainly was insane. And, um, I thought that the aliens didn't need to look scary. They just needed to look like something that Walken might conjure up in his imagination. Um, you know, when he's wandering around the house with this shotgun and about to lay, you know, the walk down on his wife and stuff. And I thought all that, uh, I thought it, I thought it worked pretty well.
0: Yeah, and that, you know, I'm glad you picked up on that, because, I mean, that's kind of what they're really going for in this film, even though, again, it's just overshadowed by the -the over-the-top acting and, and some of the inconsistencies in it. They're really going for this is about a guy who himself isn't sure if this is real or if he's going insane, and you're supposed to be asking the same question throughout the movie. So you'll see them kind of put some effort into doing that and making you feel that way, but it's easy to miss it.
2: Yeah, however, it's completely undermined by the opening alien encounter scene when the friends make a big hysterical show of also noticing the alien attack. And also it's later revealed that the wife is having similar visits and the son is also having similar encounters. So it's completely undermined by the other characters.
0: Well, no, it's not. At the the beginning, I disagree totally. The the couple that they had over the house only saw the lights and they were unnerved by that. The stuff with the wife and the... The stuff with the wife, she isn't aware of any of it until she has hypnosis later in the movie. And the kid kind of casually mentions some things that are consistent with what Christopher Walken's character has been saying. But it's not really, it's not completely over until later in the movie. So I think up until that point, you're left to question that until that's revealed that the other people are having similar experiences. Yeah, but once it's revealed, it re- removes all ambiguity. Yeah, but then you're still left with his own doubt, though, because he's not totally sure of it either. I I would say Mm -hmm. my issue here was it wasn't
2: ambiguous enough. Like, I don't think he did enough job of expressing his own doubt. So that made the hypnosis scenes where he's like trying to like figure out if he actually does believe himself. That made those scenes really flat for me. That's just an opinion.
0: So early on, you're convinced that the movie is saying it's supposed to be real, and that kind of subtracts a lot of the meaning from the movie for you. Yeah? Exactly. exactly. Yeah. That's understandable.
3: Yeah, I, th- I think what Dave is saying is totally fair. I don't, I don't feel that way. Um, from Walken's character himself, I, I, uh, I really believed his doubts. There was a scene where he says, "I don't want to be crazy," and I kind of thought that that would, um. That was the line that really summarized his character, um, from the beginning of the film to the end. And so, um, I thought that really, um, the problems with, uh, with establishing ambiguity that Dave is talking about came from, um, mostly the son, uh, those connections that Dave mentioned. I've, I've been struggling with those a little bit. But as far as Walken's character goes, I, um, I totally believed that he wasn't sure what was going on with him. And, you know, that might just be because walk-in is someone that i'm unfamiliar with and so when i got this huge dose all at once and i just let it wash over me i was uh i was convinced but you know
1: well
0: while while we're talking about how his character is crazy and how the movie is about how it's supposed to be about his journey and trying to figure out whether he's crazy or not and stuff like that i was going to save this for later to bring it up at the end but i think i should bring it up now this movie you know it has a lot of issues But one of, one of the biggest issues it has is it made the same mistake that, that was made with Stanley Kubrick's The Shining when it came to casting the main character. Because the movie is about a person exploring a person's sanity, you know, trying to figure out, you know, it's about their sanity. That's what the movie is about. You know, it's a journey in one direction or the other. It doesn't matter. Is he insane or did it really happen? The point is that from, from Go, right at the beginning of this movie, Just like with The Shining, the main character is someone, you just look at him for five minutes, you're like, he's fucking nuts. (laughs) Yeah. You know, it's, it's the exact same casting error that they made. And that undermines it to a great degree, too, because the whole point of the movie is supposed to be him figuring out either I have to come to terms with being crazy or come to terms with this being real. And it fucks it up because he's crazy either way, even if it is real, right from go. And there's no, it removes the character arc, basically.
2: Yeah, I agree. But I think in both movies, the casting choice worked well in that it did its job of drawing in audiences because in The Shining, Jack Nicholson, Jack Nicholson was a huge name in 1980. Christopher Walken was a huge name in 1989. So I wouldn't call it an error because I think both accomplished their purposes of drawing
0: in the audience. They chose a gimmick over substance. Yeah, yeah. That's a good way of putting it
1: and i think another big point that really bothered me as far as the characterization in the movie was is it was it, it was it was important for the wife the wife character to be sympathetic because her husband <laughs> is Is slowly going insane, and this woman was awful. I hated her so much by the end of the movie. I, 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 she's terrible. She seems like like he's explaining at times in the movie that he's afraid. Like this guy, this is a guy that's always doing a bit. He's always grabbing something or doing something kooky or what have you. But when he gets serious and he says, "Okay, I'm scared." She gets angry at him, like she laughs at him when he's funny. Like that's what she married him for. Like keep it up with the jokes, bro. But whenever he gets serious, like she immediately is just like she 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 talks down to him. She gets very angry, and that's when the arguments happen. And and it's really hard to get invested in this kind of emotional struggle these two people are going through because she's so unlikable.
0: Yeah, I hope for his sake in real life that she was not like that because I mean I've seen a lot of uh you know bad bad wife or bad girlfriend characters in movies, and this has got to be one of the worst. She is an ice-cold, unsupportive bitch through 90% of this movie, and she doesn't come around to acting like a, like, you know, she doesn't come around to being supportive or sympathetic until maybe the last, like, couple of minutes of the movie when he's finally got his stuff ironed out.
1: And and I feel really bad for Whitley Stryber, besides the fact that he got probed by aliens, probably, that at the premiere for this movie, he had to sit through this entire thing next to his wife, presumably. And she had to watch this woman just completely. The character assassination is on a whole nother level. And, you know, he's sitting there wringing his hands just like, I'm sorry, dear. I'm sorry, dear.
2: (laughs) And I think that's mainly an issue with the script because he wrote it. Yes, he did. Whitley Stryber wrote the script. He did. Yeah, he wrote the screenplay. Wow, that's wild. Well, what I was thinking was that these emotional changes that the wife goes through, because at one moment she's like really happy, she's supportive, and at other moments it's like flip of a coin, you know? It's a turn of a switch, on or off. She's either really angry or really happy, really supportive. So I think that's an issue with the script. It doesn't develop its beats strong enough. The emotional beats don't move in a fluid or natural manner. And it makes her performance come off as really artificial. Right. Yep.
3: The wife character, because she's so unsupportive and because the Whitley character doesn't have that anchor, it might um make it a bit easier for him to drift away and make it easier for him to become uh the doubting and crazy character that he becomes because he doesn't have that support system. Yeah, that's a really good point, man. I could buy that. And, you know, because Whitley wrote it himself, I don't know if that's intentional, but it's certainly the way it came across.
0: Yeah. And it's, it's crazy, he picked the director. He was on the set all the time. He wrote the script. And when the movie came out, he was upset with the way it portrayed him. He didn't, he doesn't like the movie at all.
3: That's where, again, the shining thing definitely comes up because King feels the same way about Kubrick. And, um, I was thinking a lot about that. And I have to disagree a bit with what you said, Mike. I think, um, the walk-in character, he he is very similar to the Jack character in The Shining, and that he is supposed to depict a uh, a strong um, you know family man's descent into madness. But for me, I thought that walk-in totally pulled it off. I thought he was super quirky and um, you know seemingly crazy at the beginning, but I, but I bought that he was just a kind of uh, a quirky writer, and then. When he said lines like, uh, I see you after seeing the alien, those moments really hit home. And I, I began to feel like this guy was losing himself. And I think that, um, if this movie had been, uh, presented as an adaptation of, um, Stephen King's The Shining, I feel like Stephen King would have thought this was a better adaptation of The Shining than Kubrick's was because, uh, Jack Nicholson just totally seemed insane to me the whole time. Like you said, but um I thought I thought Walken did a great job here personally.
2: Yeah, we can agree to disagree there. But another interesting angle I would like to propose here would be comparing the communion, not the communion, sorry, just this film to the Exorcist. Because much especially when we're considering the hypnosis sections, because much like the Exorcist, the family tries to go through conventional scientific methods before approaching their more supernatural, more outlandish solutions to their problem. So do you yeah, guys a start, there?
0: Yeah, kinda I mean he starts out with he's going to a normal doctor. And the normal doctor refers him to a psychiatrist. And the psychiatrist, and this is where we start crossing over into not really scientific, decide to start doing hypnosis on him. And then from there it's to group therapy with other alien abductees, basically accepting that it's real. So I totally get what you're saying there.
1: Oh no I did want to mention that uh, in between the group therapy and the hypnosis, she si- or she sends into at some point a doctor to get a test on his brain to make sure he's not having oh, some yeah. kind of seizure disorder. And they just yep. glued cotton balls to his head <laughs> with wires coming out. It was the laziest stuff. I'm
0: glad I'm glad you brought that up because I thought that was the funniest part of the movie. Is he's yeah. laying down with all this stuck stuff stuck on his head and he's trying to talk and gesticulate, and the doctor says. Just be quiet and sit still. It's like, do you know who you're fucking talking to right now? That dude's not going to be quiet and sit still. That's so fucking funny. And I'm yeah. sure it wasn't intended that way. But just be quiet and sit still to Christopher Walken. I thought it was fucking hilarious.
2: So after all of these scientific investigations, this hypnosis of the entire family, Christopher Walken decides that there's only one thing left for him to do, and that's to drive back to the cabin and approach the alien ship. So this is a huge climactic moment for Christopher Walken. It's really supposed to be the dramatic culmination of all the events in the film where he finally has his authentic, 100% no-doubt experience of the aliens. However, there's softcore porn music playing as he approaches the alien ship, which completely undermines the mood.
0: Now, this is interesting because – I don't know how it came about. Like, if maybe he just decided I really like Eric Clapton, so he's going to score my movie. But from what I've read, I mean, obviously the parts with the guitar are Eric Clapton. That's totally believable. I don't know if Eric Clapton did that super scary music that I love. I, I'm not. I don't think that's what. When it's written where it says Eric Clapton scored the movie, I find it hard to believe that that was Eric Clapton that did that. But maybe it was. But was yeah, it's to- hope scored the movie. They said additional okay.
2: score by something Balok or something.
0: Okay. But you hear all these guitar riffs and it's like this slow, kind of a little bit jazzy. Again, it sounds like something from the beginning of like a uh, detective movie or something where it's just these little guitar licks that don't contribute anything to the mood. They distract and they don't fit. It doesn't make any sense why they're in there. Other than that, Whitley Stryber or someone else really liked Eric Clapton and wanted another big name attached to the movie.
2: So another weird moment in this scene is once he finally enters the alien ship, it turns into a dance number. The movie almost turns into a musical, and at this point, the movie has already lost me due to the performances and writing. But at this point, I'm I'm gone. I'm gone. Like I'm in outer space. I'm on whatever drug Christopher Walken was on.
3: <laughs> that's that's so funny because when this dance sequence came, I was thinking to myself, "I am in." Christopher Walken is pulling it <laughs> off, and he's going completely insane, and he's dancing with these aliens that are. In his mind, ostensibly, you know, maybe not, but it's, it's the way I, I was really making myself think, um, to get into this movie despite, you know, a few, uh, maybe narrative errors. But when he was dancing with this alien, I was like, this was his moment where he was finally coming to terms with everything that happened to him. And I absolutely loved it. I thought it was fantastic.
2: I would like to think that it was just walking, improving on set with all these, like, people in costumes. And he just decided to start dancing. <laughs> Billy Stryver said, let's do it.
3: Yeah, he, yeah, he didn't even it, know that they were filming at the time.
0: So much of this movie comes off like it's improvised. The dialogue, it just seems like a lot of what he does comes off as improvised. And some of the other actors, too. Like when he, he's talking to his wife, it seems like they're both improvising, which is why their conversations never really go anywhere. They just kind of hover around the same point and then just kind of end. And then the stuff on the ship where he's talking and dancing around, it just seems like it was made up on the spot. And I don't understand what that level of detail, with those little details like dancing with a little blue alien and stuff like that, what is that supposed to contribute to the movie or the mood or the message? It just doesn't do anything. It's like crappy filler.
1: Mm-hmm. 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 And I I really enjoyed, first of all, this scene cracked me up because throughout the entire movie, he has a a video camera and, Uh, it's like Chekhov's camera. Like they, they keep bringing it up. It's, they even do like a POV shot with it, like a found footage thing or where they're going down the hallway with the pumpkin after the party and stuff like that. So, so he brings the camera along to go confront the aliens. And I, and I'm like, finally, he's going to get this on tape. He's going to get the proof that he needs. And he walks in to the weirdly, like you said, scored, uh, dance alien party and he sets the camera down because aliens are like, no, you don't need that. And he just sets it down and that's it. And I'm like, I was so disappointed. Disappointed, they didn't use the camera, and then the aliens greet him with this weird, like, all, uh, uber Japanese greeting ritual that was, went on way too long. And then it was like David Lynch made an alien abduction movie after having a stroke. I
2: was <laughs> that was the exact same thing. It felt exactly like a David Lynch film, however, a David Lynch film with no substance or style.
3: Yeah, it was. It was a movie that. um It definitely didn't have the standard third act structure. And I think a lot of the improvised, um, esque dialogue contributed to that. It was just a, it was a sort of wandering character study. It didn't, it didn't have a climactic scene near the end, um, where, you know, he, where there was a revelation of whether it did happen or when it didn't, you know, the most climactic scene we get is walk in giving an alien a high five. And so, um, it was definitely, it was a sort of wandering, movie, but um, I, I, really, I really enjoyed just letting it wander all over me, do it walking.
2: <laughs> so something else interesting that we should note is that they had a huge amount of access throughout this entire production. They could control lighting to like a T here, because in order to get that lighting effect of spraying the house and random patches of grass and that sort of thing with overhead lights in extreme long shots, and just completely blowing out the house with light requires huge cranes and really impressive lighting rigs to do that. So this movie obviously had access to a lot of equipment, and it had a pretty high production value, but that just goes to show that having such a high production value does not necessarily mean a movie will be good. Yeah. And also, after this scene... When Christopher Walken dances with the aliens, we cut to him with his wife in a museum, and they almost have like a breaking the fourth wall moment where they're staring a little bit past the camera, but almost into the camera, talking about their experiences with the alien. And it looks like it's straight out of the book. So this could be taken, this whole film could be taken as a lesson in not following the book exactly. Because And ironically,
0: ironically, in that scene, Whitley Striver's in the background looking at a painting, the real Whitley Striver. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs>
1: That's awesome. Well, see, I watched this scene twice uh, because, like you said, they seemed to be looking off camera, so I was trying to figure out what was going on, and I, I finally understood that they were talking to each other uh back and forth. And I thought it was hilarious because it was basically this huge exposition dump where they could just go ahead and explain the entire film to you because it didn't do a good enough job explaining itself. And exactly. I'm, really, I'm really glad they did that, because I was super confused until they... Well, I was, still, <laughs> I was still confused after this was over, but I was less so, but...
0: And then the explanation just boils down to, well, I can't do anything about this, and I'm never going to find out what it is, so I guess I just have to live with it.
1: And just keep passing it through his DNA, apparently. Yeah, <laughs> what else can you do?
0: And the final shot of the
2: film, the wife, the child, and our man, Christopher Walken himself, come out to a roof, join hands and the camera pulls out to the cityscape. And it's a a standard. We are not alone shot. Like we are taking the entire depth of this scene.
0: And I uh, I like also, but right before that, he's sitting there and he says, he's going to write a book about this. This is going to be his next book. And he sits down and he's writing it. And then later they show him reading the script and he looks up and he says, but what am I going to title a book that's about you? And there's like an alien head hovering there and glowing. And he just starts like rubbing it with his hands But nothing is really said. He's just like caressing the alien's head. It was just, it was like so random. It really stuck out to me.
2: Well, there were so many moments like that throughout this film that for me, that wasn't even worth mentioning.
0: Yeah. So with a couple of bad guitar licks, the movie ends. So Dave, tell us, what did you think about this movie?
2: Okay, so let's start out with the positives first. Unlike a few movies that we've done recently, like Creepazoids, the cinematography is actually somewhat interesting and unique at times. There are moments, for example, in the hypnosis scenes where the cinematography falls really flat, but overall it's okay, overall. And the special effects, like we've already mentioned, are really, really bad. The editing is so bad that we can't even tell if characters are talking to each other sometimes, like we just mentioned, the bizarre museum scene. The sound design works really well in some cases, but Fails completely. In other cases, with the soft core porn music when it's supposed to be dramatic, and the script and performance, I think those are the key moments or the key aspects of the film we need to hone in on. Is the script? It's structured very clearly in a very clear three act structure. However, nothing of consequence really happens throughout the film, and the character beats are really poorly planned out. None of them feel natural, and that's partially due to the performances, because Christopher Walken's performance seems to infect every other character, because almost every other character's performance feels artificial, and Christopher Walken's performance is so theatrical and outlandish that it takes you out of the film and takes you into Christopher Walken's personal world. However, despite this, I would still give the movie a 3 out of 10, and I would recommend watching about 15 to 20 minutes of it to see if you can stand Christopher Walken's performance to see if it's interesting to you. So three out of 10 recommended to people who would be interested in seeing a bizarre Christopher Walken performance. All
0: right. So, Eric, is there anything that we haven't covered that you'd like to talk about?
1: Mm, Let me think. I think there was one thing that we didn't talk about that I'd like to bring up. And there's an it was a scene where he was having an argument. They were having this really bizarre argument and he's sitting on a couch and, uh, she's yelling at him to sit up. And at one point she takes her shoes off and throws one of them and walking does this move where he reaches up into the air and acts like he pulls a fly out of the air and like brings his <laughs> fist down. And it was the most walking thing he did in the whole movie. And I was like, I love, I was like, I was glad to have watched it just to see that. Cause it
2: was <laughs> well, Other the than- context of that moment is the wife says, you better like start getting therapy or getting help because soon we won't have a marriage anymore. And then he pulls the fly out of the air and throws it away, almost saying like, "I don't give a fuck."
1: Oh, was that? Oh, yeah. wow! I didn't, I didn't catch that. Cool. Yeah,
3: yeah I, I didn't notice that that uh fly grab at all. But um, that's given me reason enough to rewatch this movie. That sounds awesome. I want to see that again. Totally. I do remember Dur- during
0: that during that scene, I was more than anything just focused on my uh, seething hatred of the wife character.
1: Yeah
3: yeah she was she was being pretty tough and and Walken was coming back at her she was telling him to sit up and he was he was declaring that he is sitting up and it was kind of again a sort of pictionary moment where she was saying sit and he's saying i am sitting and he was adamantly uh telling her that he's sitting and it was uh that that was the that was the walk part of that scene that i was really
1: into
2: it was another clear moment that could have been improv as well
3: Yep.
1: i would be remiss if i didn't bring up one more thing uh, I I wasn't scared by some of the stuff you mentioned, but one thing did honest to God give me chills. No joke. I'm not making this up. There's a scene, uh, there's a couple of times where you see this little robot puppet that they made. And I guess it's supposed to represent walking uh, in these scenes it's in. And it flies toward his bed at one point and it scared the living hell out of me. I yeah,
0: so- that is really, really creepy. I know. It, I'm sure it's supposed to represent him because it's got a stupid hat.
1: <laughs> yeah,
0: <laughs> i halted a bit at that moment as
2: well i found that moment to be the most effective i forgot to mention it actually yeah
0: it's yeah i, I go forgot go. about it too i'm glad you brought that up because that does deserve points for sure <laughs> so why don't you give us your final thoughts on a rating oh. on this
1: movie eric oh me oh, i'm sorry uh Overall, I'd say it's one of the most baffling movies I've ever seen. It carries <laughs> it carries no emotional weight throughout the entire thing. It brings up and drops plot points for no reason whatsoever. There are half-assed attempts at symbolism that go absolutely nowhere. The characters are unlikable. They act like they are aliens. Uh the the only thing that I enjoyed were those more surrealistic scenes. Those were actually well done probably because Walken's weirdness works for them. Uh, they're absurd, they're hilarious, but I did like them. I did enjoy the, the blue doctor alien uh, puppet things. Those were kind of interesting looking. Uh, overall though, I'd say that this movie and his association with it is probably the worst thing that ever happened to Eric Clapton. I'd give it...
0: <laughs> his fucking kid fell window and died
3: (laughs) i
1: I stand by my statement i i I give it a three out of ten if only for the novelty of the entire thing it's like a lesson on how not to make a movie
0: (laughs) all right liam was there anything in the movie that you wanted to bring up that we haven't covered yet
3: uh no i i I wanted to talk about uh, a little bit about eric clapton's personal life but i think we nailed that so uh (laughs) No, uh, no. It was, I thought the heart of the movie was Christopher Walken's character, and we talked a great deal about that uh, about you know twenty minutes ago, and so um, you know that that that's the heart of the movie for me. I don't have anything else to add now.
0: Well, why don't you give us your final thoughts on a the rating then?
3: Sure. Um, so I can understand everything, everything that you guys are saying, and um, and Dave said that the cinematography uh had some good moments, and you know um, lighting and. But he said the script and the performance were really what brought the movie down. And for me, it was the script and particularly the performance of Christopher Walken, uh, specifically that I was so into. And like, I wasn't laughing at him. Um, you know, I'm not being, uh, facetious here. I totally thought that he was, uh, he had embodied this, this character, whoever this character may be. If I think about the movie not as a science fiction movie and certainly not as a horror movie and just look at it as, um, a character study of a man that's trying to get a hold on of himself in the wake of a life changing event, I really enjoy it. I think um I thought the alien scenes were unsettling and ridiculous, but um, I didn't think that they took me out of um the character that I was so interested in watching. I do have a bit of a recency bias when I watch films. Um, you wouldn't know it from the past three movies that we've watched. I tend to watch a movie and, you know, for the next day or two, I'm kind of on a high and I think it's the greatest thing ever. And so I don't know how much of that's happening right now. All things considered, I would honestly say that I thought Christopher Walken's performance was better and more unsettling than Jack Nicholson's in The Shining. I thought it was utterly fantastic and I thought the entire movie was immensely endearing. I'd love to rewatch it. And I would give it an eight point five out of ten. The points I'm taking away are for the the ambiguity issues that seem to suggest that the abduction really happened with the kid and the wife. And I also wouldn't have minded if the movie ended about ten minutes earlier, um, and we didn't get that shot of them standing on the roof. Um, suggesting that there's more out there and we didn't get the shot of walk in talking to the floating alien head, I thought a perfect ending would have been when he sat down on the computer and decided to write a book about his um experiences because I think that uh whether or not the abduction happened, I think that's a perfect way for his character to deal with this experience. And uh yeah, so I loved it. I'm so glad I watched this movie and it's a total 8.5 out of 10. I would suggest it... um not only the science fiction fans, but just to anyone that kind of is interested in those sort of shining-esque movies about a man's uh, ostensible descent into madness.
0: So this movie here, you know, there's a nostalgia bias that I have towards it, I guess, uh, because the source material had an impact on my life, not a positive one. The The movie itself, when I first saw it, to me, was pretty frightening. But even then, the special effects kind of undermine that to a certain extent. In the end, you, when you call this a movie, really it's more of a performance than a movie. I mean, if you did a word map of our discussion over the last hour or so, the biggest word on the word map is going to be walking, because that's what this fucking movie is. I really think this is where Christopher Walken turned the corner from being an actor to being a parody of himself like William Shatner or Robert De Niro or some shit. I mean... If you're going to pinpoint it, it would be here because his, his acting is just so over the top and it's so classic Christopher Walken, you know, all the stuff that we would do impressions of him or anything like that. It's all right here in this movie. So really that that overshadows everything in the movie and in a way as, as it went for Liam, that's a good thing because you don't see all the shit that's there or it's a bad thing because it covers up some of the good stuff that's there. This movie's all about just Christopher Walken, it seems like. And that's a bad thing in the long run, because you can't just make a movie about one character that's completely crazy with not a strong story, and there's not really any character arc or anything like that. The characters around him didn't matter at all. Uh, The wife didn't really serve an important role to the movie. The kid didn't. The friends didn't. The aliens even seemed like they didn't. You know, this like this whole movie could have taken place just inside of his head, and it wouldn't have made a difference to it. It's got good points. There's times when he does some sincerely good acting in this where he really pulls it off. And there's other parts of the movie that I, like, again, like the scene with it poking out from behind the door was, to me, really frightening. And it still kind of causes a little bit of a primal fear to me to this day when I see that. I think that scene's really well done. And I think, like, 85% of that is the way they use the music in it. And I thought it was really well done. And there's a couple of spots in this movie where you're like, wow, this this is pretty good. And if only they would have put that level of effort into the whole thing. But they didn't. They could have made something that was supremely creepy and scary throughout. And at one or two points, you know, you do get a taste of that. But the over-the-top acting, the poopy improvisation that you always see in the dialogue, and the absurdity and the unwillingness to commit to the right tone kill the vibe that you need to make this movie work as a horror movie or as a frightening movie. Uh, what you end up with is a bit of a mess, with Christopher Walken dancing around in the middle of it, acting like a madman. Somehow, I still like this movie. I can't think of anything else that has a scene in it that to this day still kind of, I find kind of frightening. This is really the only movie. And again, that's that's something that's limited to me. That's not really a basis for recommendation because that's just something that's frightening to me, the whole alien abduction thing, because I grew up being afraid of that kind of thing. But the, the movie in itself is entertaining just for all the wrong reasons. I would recommend just about anyone watch this movie once, because if you're not familiar with walking, you will be after this. And it's just entertaining to watch him doing what he does even though, again, you end up with just a performance and not really much of a movie. So I'm going to give this a really light 6 out of 10. And I'd say anyone should check it out once. You might enjoy it. All right, this week we were contacted via email by a guy named Stephen from thedarkmart.com. And, uh, you know, we don't really promote anything or do interviews or anything like that, not related. But I thought the thing that he's doing is kind of cool. Thedarkmart.com is kind of like an eBay or an Etsy for horror enthusiasts where you can put up your stuff that you're selling that's kind of horror-related and other people will buy it, and you don't pay like a commission or listing fees. I think you just pay like a annual rate or something like that, or maybe a one-time rate, and then you can sell stuff for a couple of years, as many as you want, and you get to keep all the profits. Check it out. If you're into like haunted houses and stuff like that around Halloween, there's a lot of like special effectsy type stuff on there that you might want to take a look at. So you might want to check that out, thedarkmart.com. What are we doing next week? I'm pretty sure we're going to do Silent Rage next week. Uh, I'm not exactly sure who's going to be on the show yet, but we'll figure that out when we get to it. Have you guys seen Silent Rage?
2: I have, several
1: times. (laughs) I'm, I'm not sure, actually.
0: Silent Rage is like, if you got Chuck Norris, and he's making all these Chuck Norris movies in the 80s, and they're running out of ideas. They're like, well, what's popular right now? Slasher movies are popular. It's like 1985, and Jason and Michael Myers and all that. So let's do a Chuck Norris movie where he fights Michael Myers. And that's basically the movie. And it's it's worth watching. So we'll we'll check that one out next week. It'll be me and Dave and a couple other people here. Check it out and let you know what we think about it. All right, everybody. That was episode 59 of the Horror Explorer podcast. We'll see you next week. Adios. Later.
3: Bye. Later days. Oh, sorry. Okay. You really are from my dad. Bye. Okay, so I'll see you later,
1: huh?